0: Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. He started off last week, great time, when our discipleship series talking about rebuild. Rebuild simply means discipleship. And he spoke on what that means. And I know somebody may be walking in today, and you're like, "Well, I, why do I? Why do we need to talk about vision again, and specifically discipleship?" Well, you've heard me say throughout the last few weeks. The reality is, we're stepping back into a place, or re-entering into a space that we haven't been in a while. And for some of us, that's a relationship with Jesus. We need to jump back in and 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 be in this relationship with Jesus and be serious about it. And for some of us, it's being back in church altogether, being committed to the fellowship and the body. Of Christ. And so we began this series talking about renew, which is the gospel. It's simply the gospel, what Jesus did on our behalf, which is very important. And it's important because many churches sadly don't preach the gospel. They don't teach the gospel. What Jesus did when he died, he was buried, he rose from the grave. We don't teach that. Sometimes when you walk in church, it's at best a TED talk. Thank you, Tim. (laughs) It's a TED talk. You walk out feeling great about what you heard, but it had no death to it. It was just, it's, it's surfacey. That felt really good. And the sad thing about that is that simply fades after a while. And so the tri- simple truth of the matter is that the gospel, what Jesus has done on our behalf, when he died, he was buried, and he rose from the grave, conquering Satan, sin, and death. That's the truth that changes lives. So we're going to preach that week in and week out here. So we started with that because here's the reality. If you don't understand the gospel, then you will not disciple correctly. Did you hear what I said? If you don't understand what Jesus has done on your behalf, then you will not disciple or pour into other people correctly. You'll give them something. The question is, what are you giving them? We're always going to be pouring our lives out. People are always watching your life. The question is, what are you giving them? So we looked at the gospel first. And Steve touched on this a a bit last week because here's the problem with that. Even though we look at the gospel, a lot of times people come to Jesus and that's where they commonly stop. I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I proclaim him with all I have. But then you stop right there and you no longer grow in your faith. You're not progressing in your walk and you remain a baby in the faith. And now it becomes about you, individualistic. Your relationship with Jesus is private. It's all about consumption and consuming. It's not about anybody else. Your belief becomes one of the files in the file cabinet of your life instead of your belief being the cabinet itself. Jesus is just tucked away with everything else. It's a problem because here it is Now, consequently, nobody at your job knows you're a Christian. Nobody in your neighborhood knows your belief. And if I step into your house, your family might not even know what you believe. Because we stopped in our walks with Christ. That's not what Jesus calls us to do. Christianity is not a solo journey. And it's also not something you keep to yourself. If you got some good, some good news, you tell somebody about it, right? Well, you you heard some good news. I'm going to tell somebody about it. Y'all missing this. I tasted Troy's pecan pie. And when I ate a piece of it, I had to tell everybody about it. And now it's a hit at our small group. Every week, we want, we, we want some of Troy's pecan pie. The boy, can he can do everything, y'all. Tattoo, pecan pies, whatever. Some of y'all like coffee. Y'all don't like, some of y'all don't like pecan pie. Okay, but I, we make good burgers here in Chicago. Some of y'all like all cheval and small cheval. Some of y'all still on McDonald's, but God bless you. But when you taste something good, what do you do? That's a question. You tell somebody about it, right? You don't hold something good to yourself. And so it is the same with the gospel. When you learn and you taste the goodness of Jesus and you taste and see that he's good, you can't help but to tell somebody about it. See, Jesus has not saved us for ourselves, but instead we have been saved in order to share this truth about Jesus with other people, we share the truth with others and hope that they will come to know the same saving faith, the, 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 the joy and the peace and the love that we have in Christ. We want their lives to be changed just like ours has been changed. But the question then becomes, how are we living our lives? Or better yet, are you living your life in a way that is affecting the people around you? Y'all quiet this morning. I see I'm going to have to preach, but you see, discipleship is where we as believers, we pour our lives into other faithful people for the purpose of pointing them towards the reconciling power of Jesus. It's as Steve said last week, we say it this way, it's to reproduce reproducing followers of Jesus. Try to say that fast. It's to reproduce, I heard you, I heard you, reproduce reproducing followers of Jesus Christ. It's it's a tongue twister, but we want to reproduce. We don't want to just give this to anybody. We want to give it to people that are faithful and they're going to take this thing out to the other ends of the world. This is what we see in the scriptures. We see Jesus not only renewing hearts by the power of gospel, but he rebuilds lives when he takes those 12 guys under his wing and he pours into them. That's the goal for us as a church. And so over these next few weeks, as we've been walking through discipleship, and Steve will end this part next week, we want you all, as you're walking through this, to ask yourself, have I been discipled? Has somebody poured into my life, and do I earnestly desire it if I haven't been? And if I have, on the other side, am I doing this with other people? Am I pouring my life out into other people? Am I making disciples? We need to be discipled, but we also need to be discipling other people. Now, before I jump in today into the text, there are some of us in here that probably are saying, well, Pastor D, I don't, I don't know where I am with Jesus today. I'm not sure if I'm a believer. I'm not sure where I am with him. And, and you're hearing the word discipleship, and you're saying, well, this isn't for me, and you're, you're starting to tune all of this out. And hear me, there's a very common misconception that, that discipleship is just for believers, Listen, when Jesus started his ministry with those 12 dudes, they didn't believe in Jesus. Some of y'all didn't know that. Jesus walked by the sea and they said, where are you going, Jesus? And he said, come and see. They didn't know who he was. They just wanted to know about him and they followed him. They dropped everything and went with him. They didn't believe at that point yet. And so, 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 so if you're saying, well, he's talking about discipleship, I don't think he's talking to me. No, I'm talking to everybody. This is all for everybody in here. Let me, let me say it this way. When you look at Matthew 28, the Great Commission, and it says, go and make disciples, the, the imperative verb there is make. It's not go. It's make disciples. So what Jesus is really saying to you is that as you're going about your day, as you're going to your job, as you're walking through your neighborhood, make disciples. Make them as you go. Live your life out in front of people. You notice he doesn't say make disciples when they come to know me as Lord and Savior. He doesn't say that. He says, no, 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 make disciples. And as you go about your day, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them the things that I've given to you. So if you're here and you're saying, this isn't for me, hear me. This is for all of us. This is what he desires for all of us. Discipleship is how we come to know Jesus, but it's also how we grow in our walk with him. The problem with it is that many of us, sadly, this is a foreign word in our culture. And we don't know what it looks like. And so today, I want you, as we walk through Rebuild, I, I want you to ponder the question again, have I been discipled or better yet, do I desire it? And number two, if you've been discipled, am I pouring my life out on other people? So go open your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. That's where we begin our message today. Um, If you missed last week, despite what I say about Steve's bald head, I want you to go online and listen to the message uh, uh, where he opened us up talking about this RIDE acronym. Uh, Discipleship needs to be relational, inspirational, doctrinal, and experiential. You can't just have one part. It needs to be holistic in its nature. Ride. Relational, inspirational, doctrinal, experiential. He started us off with relational, inspirational. I'm going to talk about doctrinal and experiential today. Today is going to be, just like last week, a lot more practical in nature, so less preaching and us walking through text. It's going to be more practical, so we want you to know what this looks like, all right? So go ahead and stand on your feet if you're able. Second Timothy 2, verse 2, that's what we'll be uh, this morning. Then I got a treat for you all at the end, the man, the myth, and the legend himself, C.J. Neal, uh, who brought me to the faith, discipled me, and you've heard me and Steve talk about him quite a bit, and so he's in the building, and he's going to speak to us at the end. I'll talk about him a little bit more. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. If you got it, go ahead and say, got it. All right, here now the reading of God's word. It says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The very word of God, amen. Today I want to speak on, let's go on a ride. Let's go on a ride. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. You are truly good. God, we thank you for a space where we can talk about you, but also fellowship and worship. God, I pray as I say every week that you would hide me behind the cross so that you may be lifted up in this place. Uh, That it wouldn't be me speaking, but it'd be you, God, and only you. We need to hear from you to have your way in this place. In the name of Jesus, we all said, amen. Amen. You can be seated. I remember when I was about eight years old, uh, eight, six to eight years old, my, my parents got a divorce, and um, I would stay with my father from time to time, and my father just randomly would commonly say, he'd say, let's go on a ride, D, let's go on a ride. And um, on these rides, sometimes we would go to the beach, sometimes we would go to the store. But as I grew older, I I started to realize that these these rides were just times where my father wanted to get time with me. He wanted to spend time with me where we we got to know each other a bit more relationally and hang hang out a little bit. But one thing I used to love about these car rides is that almost every time my father would drive the car and we go to some old abandoned parking lot, And he would stop the car and he would say, you want to drive? And now I think Tim got it at six or eight years old. What do you think I said? (laughs) Yeah, I want to drive the car. And so we get into the parking lot and he would proceed to tell me as I got, he'd get out the car and he'd switch seats with me. I know it's dangerous. Ain't nobody in the parking lot. And I'd get in the seat and he would say, all right, D., Check your mirrors. Look at, the, look at the mirror to the side, to the mirror to the right, uh, the rear view mirror. Make sure you can see everything around you. Look at all the mirrors. And so I get my mirrors straight and I do all that. And he said, OK, buckle your seatbelt up. He's teaching me what I need to know about driving the car. I put my seatbelt on and he said, OK, OK, get your seat together. Get your, how's your seat? Is your seat ready? Can you see? Is it, is it in the place that you, you feel comfortable? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. And he said, OK, well, now now put your foot on the brake." He's walking me through the steps. So I put my foot on the brake, and he said, okay, push it down. You feel how it goes down and up? And then he said, okay, yes. And then he said, okay, uh, take it out of park slowly and put it in the drive. Don't move your foot. And so I got my foot on the brake, and I put it in the drive. And he said, okay, now lift your foot off the brake really slow, and you see how the car starts moving. Now put it back down. You see the car stopped. He's teaching me how to brake. And he said, okay, now take your foot off the, ga- off the brake. Now put it on the gas real slow, real slow. Cause you know, we want to go fast. DJ always wants to go fast now. And he say, okay, now I'm teaching you how to go, how the gas works and acceleration. So I put it down and I, and I'd go a little faster and see the whole time. What he's doing is he's, he's walking me all the rules, step by step, how to drive a car. He, he's telling me all the rules and regulations and all these things. And Time after time of doing this over and over and over again throughout the years at a very young age, I now learned how to drive a car. My sister's here. She did it the same way. She wasn't as good as me, but she did it, too. We learned how to drive a car that way. Essentially, that's discipleship. So there's this relationship I got with my father. He's inspiring me at a young age to do something that most people cannot do at six or eight years old. And then doctrinally, if there's a doctrine, he's walking me through all the doctrine of how how do you drive a car. But then he's also giving me the experience. He's not just telling me. He's letting me do it myself. Now, all of that was great until it wasn't. And I remember it like it was yesterday. We're driving. Again, I'm probably eight years old. And I'm gonna blame it on him. He gets the bright idea and he says, You wanna drive home? Robinson, he asked me if I want to drive home. And I said, Yeah, I want to drive home. And so he said, okay, okay, let's turn around and go to the street. And we're driving. And I remember we were about two blocks away from the house, and we stopped at the stoplight. And I, I start looking both ways. I look to my left. He looks with me. says, make sure there's no car coming that way. And then I, I look to the other side, and we both stopped. And there he was, a police officer. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you one thing. Driving while black is one thing, but driving black and eight years old is a whole different <laughs> thing, All right. In Gary, Indiana, I don't care where you're from, but I was in Gary, and I'm like 10 and 2 all the way. Heart is out my chest. I, I, I don't know what to do. And I said, okay. And I'm just breathing. He's like, D, it's okay. It's okay. I'm like, it ain't okay. You ain't driving. I'm right here. And, and then we go forward, and as soon as I get across the street, whoa, whoa, whoa! That's the first time I got pulled over, y'all. And he pulls us over. And I'm, I don't even want to look at him. I'm just like, mm-mm. And, he, and I don't remember anything he said. The only thing I remember him saying, and I can't say the explicit that he used, but he just said, I know he ain't 16. <laughs> and then he let us go. We went home. And, but here's the point. Watch this. Being pulled over, which was not the last time, the first time, it didn't ruin my relationship with my father. It also didn't ruin the inspiration that he was giving me. I was still inspired to do something that most couldn't. But if there was a doctrine to driving, this was all out of whack right here. And the experience is one that I did not want to relive again. See, what I'm really getting at, family, is that all of us in here need to be on a ride with someone. We all riding with someone. The question is, who are you riding with? And Some of y'all, some of y'all, y'all in the car with the wrong person. You're riding with the wrong person. Some of you, you're not riding with anyone right now. It's all about you. Hear me. If we're going to be riding with some and they're pour, pour someone and they're pouring into us, we got to make sure that it's holistic in nature. It's relational. It's inspirational. It's doctrinally sound, and it's also experiential. Who are you riding with, family? Who you on to ride with? As we look at the text today, we're going to see Paul pouring into Timothy. And we're going to see that his discipleship relationship with, with Timothy encompasses all of it. It's, it's, it's relational, inspirational, doctrinal, but it's also experiential. But I got to walk. Now, with that, as we jump in, and we're going to look at doctrinal and experiential specifically today, but I got to walk through the whole thing with Timothy and Paul to help you understand what's going on. To understand 2 Timothy 2, too, you have to understand the type of relationship that Paul and Timothy have here. Paul has been walking, he's been living life and doing ministry alongside Timothy for some years. And at this point, Paul is now in prison, and he's penning this letter to Timothy, and he's he's basically almost this farewell letter at the end of his life in Rome saying, this is all you need to know, Timothy. I, I need you to keep going. And he So so, so essentially, he's trying to give his beloved child in the ministry everything that he knows. He's saying, here you go. So he begins this verse, and he says the word, entrust. Everyone say, entrust with me. He says entrust. He entrusts these things. Now, now the Greek word for entrust is pronounced paratithme, which means to set before. So in other words, Paul is placing everything he knows about Christ and his message into Timothy's care. He tells him to now guard this good deposit that has been entrusted to you in verse 14 of chapter one. Paul now has entrusted this deposit to Timothy and he says, now, you go give it to other people, entrust it to other people, or commit it to others. Now, this deposit that Paul has entrusted to Timothy was the gospel in its fullest sense, in its holistic nature. Basically, he's saying, here's the gospel, Timothy. This is what Jesus has done for you. He died. He was buried. He rose again. That same power is in you within the whole, with the Holy Spirit that's living within you. You know how to live this out because you've been living alongside me Now guard it. Take heed to it, my son, and and guard it. Now in our passage, Paul, keeping the same stream of thought, says, don't just give it to anyone though, but instead share this deposit with faithful men. Listen, this was Jesus's way, but he took 12 to himself. Jesus took 12 men. He preached on mountaintops to thousands, but he took 12 men and he poured his life into them and they took it out and they turned the world upside down for Jesus. And so he's doing the same thing with Timothy. He's saying, look, what you have heard in front of many witnesses, Timothy, I need you to go do the same thing. I need you to entrust this to faithful people. But the question remains, well, Pastor D, well, what does that look like? Paul's disciple, and Timothy, just like I said earlier, encompassed the whole acronym ride. It's relational, inspirational, exper- uh, doctrinal, as well as experiential. So let me talk a little bit about Timothy and Paul being relational and inspirational before we get to the d Is that okay with y'all? I, I got to give y'all the whole picture here. Paul was very relational, and we know this by when you read this letter in chapter 1, in the book, he acknowledges Timothy as his son. He always calls him son. He, he, he's, he's my beloved son. I'm going to tell you right now, Jay, if somebody walked up to you and they don't know you and they called you son, what, what's going to happen? You can't call me son if I'm not your son. And so here, knowing that he refers to him as his son, there is a relationship there. There's a deep relationship with him and his son. And Even in that, you keep on reading. Verse 5, he says, he calls his mother and his grandmother by their names. And he doesn't just know their names. He knows their faith. Now, I need you to think about that for a minute. How many people in your life know your mother's real name? Go a little further. How many people know your grandmother's name? How many people know their faith? Paul says, I knew them intimately. I can count on my one hand, all the people that know my grandmother's name, my mother's name, real name, and their faith. Paul says, I knew both of them. I knew them deeply. See, in order for Paul to know that, he had to spend a lot of time with Timothy. Relationships take time. Let me say that again because we live in a microwave culture. Relationships take time. They can be some of the most stressful, irritating, time-consuming things in our life. Amen, somebody? But when you spend time with another individual and you pour your life into them and they're spending time with you, it can be some of the most rewarding times in your life as well as the other person. Paul spent 15 to 20 long years pouring into Timothy, Timothy walking alongside him in ministry. Jesus spent three years with these disciples. The point is, discipleship and relationships take time. I'm going to say it again. It's not microwavable. Let me keep going because I can stay there for a while. Paul is very inspirational also with discipling Timothy. How many of you know that walking with Jesus can be challenging sometimes? At times, it can be be challenging, right? It's not always easy. It's not easy, and it wasn't meant to be easy. But in order for us to walk with God and remain in a constant relationship with him, we need other people around us to encourage us, to challenge us, to lift us up, to inspire us. Paul does this for Timothy, challenging his timid son in the faith. I love the words he says in verse 6 through 7 in chapter 1. He says, Fan into the flame the gift of God, for God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Paul goes on to say, verses 3 through 7, chapter 2, things like suffer like a good soldier. Don't get entangled in civilian affairs. Compete like an athlete and work hard like a farmer. Paul is saying, look here, son. It's going to be hard. It's tough out here, but I'm challenging you to keep the faith. Keep the faith, because the reward is far greater. How many of you know that you need people in your life that can lift you up and keep you encouraged from time to time? Life gets hard I've been around brothers that I. I just said we had a men's retreat. It was so encouraging to be around brothers that I've been walking and doing life for with pretty much my whole life. I need to be lifted up. How many of you know you need to be lifted up? You need that. Paul inspires Timothy, and he says, no, I know it's hard, son, but hold on. I love reading his words. As you read through this book, you get to chapter 4, because it's like his dying words to his son. He's passing these words on. He says, uh, verse uh, 7 of chapter 4, he says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race, and I've kept the faith. He inspires Timothy to not give up and to run the race that's set before him. Renewal, do you have those people in your life that are relational as well as inspirational? If you do, then let me ask you, who are you doing that for? Who are you helping out and picking up? Discipleship has to be relational and inspirational, but this is not it. Believers need to be sound doctrinally while in relationship and inspiring other people. We can't be all relationship and inspiration because we got to know what we're talking about, too, when we're pouring into somebody else, which brings us to the D in the acronym of RIDE, doctrinal. Paul made sure that Timothy was sound doctrinally or he had the right beliefs to follow, in other words. He tells Timothy chapter one, verse 13, look at it with me. It says, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. What this lets us know is that Paul has not only taught the scripture to Timothy from the Bible, but he's also lived a life according to the scriptures in front of him. Now, let me step into your neighborhood a little, bit, a little bit with this one. How many of you, if, if I asked you guys, how many of you know uh, someone who can quote scripture really well? I'm pretty sure most of us would be able to raise our hand. But if I asked you, if you kept your hands up, how many of you know somebody who actually lives a life according to the scripture? A lot of hands will go down. And then if I took it a step further and just stepped more into your kitchen and just said, How many of you know enough scripture to recognize a true believer when you saw one? How many of you know enough scripture to recognize truth when you hear it? That's a tough question. And it's okay if you don't. I'll be honest. When I came to know Jesus, I did not know. I didn't know what true fruit from a believer looked like. I didn't know what it meant to really live a life according to the scripture. I didn't know what that looked like until I really met C.J., a man who pulled me under his wing. Steve, talk, Steve talked about him a bit last week where he, he'd walk us through the scriptures and answer all the questions that we had, helped us walk through it doctrinally and what, what's right and, and what's not right and, and, and what it looks like. He lived his life out in front of me, sitting at dinner table after night after night with him and watching his family in, in front of me, just modeling a life lived out in the scripture in front of me. And that's exactly what Paul does with Timothy right here. He doesn't just preach the scriptures. He allows him to see what it looks like to to be god's son he modeled it for him listen we need more people who are rooted and grounded in the scripture and don't just come to church on sundays my preaching cannot be the only bible that you hear week after week Your, your small group cannot be the only time where you engage the scripture Jesus is worth way more time than one day or two days a week. He's done more in your life than to just give him two days. This is why discipleship is so important, and in that, to live out a path of fine. like Paul says in front of others, what it looks like. To live out a pattern of sound words. We got to give people something to live by, which begs the question again today, what does your life look like? I know that's tough, but we got to think of what does your life look like? If we held the scriptures up to our life right here and we looked at the gospels and what Jesus did and how he lived his life, how would you measure up to the scripture? And I know none of us in here are Jesus, including myself, but the the Scripture is pretty clear about imitating Christ, being imitators of him. What does your life look like when you look at the Scriptures? Do we look like him? Again, if I stepped into your job, what would people say about you? If I came into your neighborhood, one, do your neighbors know you? And two, what would they say about you? I know, that's still far out. Okay, if I stepped into your kitchen and sat at the dinner table with your family, what would your kids say about you? What would your relatives say? Do they know anything about your walk? Does it it measure up? What does your life look like? We have to live out the word of God in our lives, as Paul says, dealing with doctrine. Second, dealing with doctrine of discipleship. Paul tells Timothy, he says, preach the word in chapter 4, verse 2, because there's a time, I love this, a time coming when people will have itching ears, as the word says. Itching ears, meaning they will hear what they want to hear versus what's truth. Whew, I know heavy. Family, we're living in that day. That's today. Some people could care less about what truth says or what the word says, because they want to hear what feels right to them. This, This is what I like to hear. This is what I think it says, this is how I feel today when sadly most of the time your feelings never line up with the scriptures. Y'all have heard me say this. Your feelings change like the wind and the waves. It's not a good thing to rely on, but the word of God does not change. stays constant. So Paul says, look, son, preach the word. Why? Because the word of God is the only thing that saves it's not, it's, not your, it's not your preaching or your eloquence or your persuasiveness or your charisma or your good looks. Preach the word. He says it's the word of God that saves. Not you, Timothy. Preach the word. This is the problem with much of Christianity today. Most Christians don't know enough about the Word of God, where in result we wanted to say what we wanted to say or what we feel it should say, and so we're controlled by our feelings and our emotions and not truth. Ah, y'all not with me. This is why prosperity gospel exists. Yeah, we're going there. We we want to we want to be prosperous, right? We want more in life. There's songs about this stuff. It's all over the place. I want money. I, I want to be, I, I be all. I can be all of these different things. And so we, we make up all kind of stuff. Call it and haul it. You just got to name it and claim it. Speak it all into the atmosphere. What does that even mean? You don't have the power to get, do any of that. I'm going to tell you right now. All right. You don't have the power to do that by yourself, but it feels good. And somebody got something because they worked and they got and I can get it to feel good like I can there, too. So prosperity gospel exists because it's something that makes me feel good, like I can achieve something. But on the other side, I'm gonna go there, too. Poverty gospel is false, too. Well, Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head to rest, so I'm going to be poor out here, and I can't buy nothing that I like because Jesus, he just had lace-up sandals on, and, I, you know, that's all I can have, too, so I can't get Jordans. I can't, I'm can't. i not saying that you got to have, but you, I can't do none of that. No, that's false, too. We could go on, on down the line, but the reality is a lot of times we don't know enough about the Word of God to recognize mess when we hear it. So we just go with it. That felt good, that that seems good. So we keep working through it and we're like, oh okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. I I, I like the way that felt right there. It was convicting or it, it was encouraging. That's for me. This is a problem. This is why true, correct doctrine is so important in discipleship, because if we don't really know what we're talking about, then what's going to happen? You're going to pour into somebody else, and they're going to be worse off than you were, and then they're going to pour into somebody else, and it's going to keep on getting worse all the way down the line. It's like the game Telephone. Y'all ever played that? My kids, we love the game Telephone at our table. It's like seven of us, so my kids and my wife and I, and we never get it right, y'all. And so... Uh, I'll tell I'll tell whoever's sitting to my right or my left, which is probably a part of the problem because it's usually like DJ or Nala, and I'm like, "Yo, Mama looks good." And by the time it gets around the table, it's like Daddy's fat or something. <laughs> and I'm like, "What? How y'all changed the whole name, everything?" And see, if, if and the goal is you want to get back, you want to get the right, the same thing you said all the way around the table. And so if I, if I started here, and, and I was like, hey, they, it, "I'm gonna just tell you A. We're gonna start the alphabet. I'm, I'm not going through the whole alphabet. I'm just gonna tell you A. We're not gonna do the alphabet. And you just gotta say A all the way around. By the time it gets over, because we hear what A, B, C, one, two, three, all of that. I just said A because we hear what we wanna hear." what feels good, and we interpret it through those lenses, and then we just go ahead and we tell other people, instead of relying on what's truth and staying with that. That's why in discipleship, because if we don't get this right, if we don't know what we're talking about, y'all, we're just going to repeat what we hear, what we got from our parents, or what we think is right, and we never take time to really look at it ourselves and study the word. Then we just pour mess in the people. I know I'm pretty passionate about this, but this is it's a problem in our culture. We gotta take time to, to study and rightly divide the word of God, not for just for ourselves, but for the people. There's so many tools that you can gather yourself. I remember when Steve and I first came to the faith, we spent a lot. We didn't have no money, y'all, but we spent a lot of money on, like, commentaries and where you could read what other people thought about what they think about the scripture. So if I'm like, I don't know what this says, so let me just let me read a little bit more about this, or Concordance, where you can look up words, and you can just see how all of the Bible connects. We bought a study Bible. If you don't have a study Bible, go buy you a study Bible. It's an easy thing to have, and you can just read through it right there all at once, where you can see what, what other scholars think about this, and it helps you learn the scriptures. Other things, we, we had CJ. I was literally, his wife had to put a curfew on the phone calls because we were calling all times of night just trying to learn. Trying to rightly divide. That's, that's no joke. Rightly divide the scriptures. We wanted to know how to work through the scriptures, not just for ourselves, but to give it away to others. Doctrine, hear me, family, is very important when it comes to discipleship. And in this passage, Paul pours into Timothy, and he's able rightly divide the word because he sat under Paul for years. He watched him preach. He watched him teach, rebuke, and encourage folks with the word of God. Believers need to know the word of God for themselves in order to teach other people. We desire here renewal to not only be a church that's centered on the gospel, but a church that's rooted in the scriptures where our lives now as we go outside of these walls reflect what the scripture actually says and people by looking at our lives they come in contact with Jesus they ask questions because of you and what your life looks like so you have to ask yourselves again do I really know the scriptures do I live by what they say Have I been under someone who's helped me understand it? Paul is doctrinal in his discipleship. Last thing here in the text, hear me. Simply knowing what you're talking about and being doctrinal, because a lot of people stop there and they want to argue about doctrine. Just knowing doctrine isn't enough either. How many of us know it's one thing to know about something, but it's an altogether different thing? when you experience it. It's one thing to know about it, but it's an altogether different thing when you would experience it. The last part of this right acronym is experiential. Discipleship has to be experiential. Timothy was not only discipled by Paul, but he here at this time, he's with Paul all the time. Paul didn't want just Timothy to watch him. He says, I want you to learn, but I also want you to get some experience, Timothy. So he puts him in on the action. So he does things like, Timothy, go to Corinth because I can't make it to the church. I want you to go represent me. At the time of writing this letter, uh, Timothy is taking over the uh, church of Ephesus here. So he's the pastor now. And, and, and Paul stayed. Paul helped plan it. And now Timothy is the one who's pastoring it. And so he's writing this letter uh, to Timothy. Friends, hear me again. We cannot just know about something. Red Iron Game, great movie. Right? To experience it. How many of you guys have seen The Gridiron Gang? Great movie, right? Gridiron Gang. I love that movie. Uh, in the movie, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, y'all know who that is, eyebrow? <laughs> you know, Dwayne Johnson, he, he's the kind of supervisor over all these boys that have been put into this juvenile penitentiary, and he's, he's tired of these boys getting out of this juvenile center and dying being murdered. And he says, I got to do something. I got to do something constructive, help them in their time here. And so he, he said, I play football. And so he forms a football team. And Robinson with the football team, he, he says, look, all these brothers want to hit each other. So, but I need a quarterback. I need a quarterback, Steve. And he says, well, who can play quarterback? And nobody says anything. And then there's this one brother, yo, he's just cool. He like, I got this. I'm the best quarterback that's ever played the game. Just watch coach, touchdown after touchdown. He's just talking all this mess. And then they get in the game because he's like, all right, cool, I'll, smart, I'll start you. He gets in the game, and the brother doesn't even know how to hike the ball. He just say, one, two, three, and they hike it. He can't catch it. He's trying to throw it, can't throw the ball. Handing off the wrong direction, throwing incomplete passes, interceptions, you name it. He's doing all this, and they they call timeout, and he comes out, and the coach's like, yo, I thought you were the best at quarterback. And he said, coach, I ain't never tell you that I play real football. I was talking about Madden. (laughs) Family, I I, I say it again, it's it's one thing to know about something. It's an altogether different thing to actually experience it. This brother had never played a real football game before. Discipleship, you have to have experience. You got to know how to do something, and you can't know that without having experience. I, I love it because Malcolm Gladwell, he talks about this, and he, he says that experience takes time, too. In his book, Outliers, he, he says that it takes about 10,000 hours of practice or experience to master something. Ten thousand hours—that's about four hundred and seventeen days of going twenty-four hours doing something in order to master it. Now, that's a little unrealistic. We gotta sleep, and so if you break this down into kind of a work day, an eight-hour day, that—that's if you spend eight hours doing something trying to master it to reach ten thousand hours. That's gonna take you about twelve hundred and fifty days when you divide that by 365 days a year, you get about 3.4 years. So it takes you about 3.4 years to master something hypothetically. Now, what I love about this, and it's intriguing to me, is that when you study the ministry of Jesus with his disciples, it took them or him about three to three and a half years to disciple these 12 men. And after he ascended, they went out and turn the whole world upside down to the glory of Jesus. So I think it's safe to say that Malcolm Gladwell was on to something. But the broader point here is that discipleship takes time. And we have to have experience while walking with someone and doing ministry alongside them in order to be thoroughly equipped to pour your life into other people. There's this old saying uh, that says discipleship without evangelism is just counseling, which means that what good is it to have all of this knowledge and not be able to give it away? Just be a consumer and not give it away. What good is it? And so we have to be relational in our discipleship, inspirational. Doctrinal and experiential. What I want to do, I, I'm going to end our, you know, meet me for the first time, and I just want to kind of ask him about what it was like, you know, meeting me for the first time and um, walking and doing life with us. Because, as I said, this would be practical in nature today. I want you to just hear, uh, a lot of times you don't hear what, it, what it's like coming uh, at the beginning. Some of y'all see me from, from the stage, and this is where you've, uh, this is your interaction you've had with Pastor D., but I wasn't always like this, right? I mean, he just laughs at me. And um, I, I really came in contact with CJ because of Kaylee, and he's going to talk about that a little bit. But I want to ask you, man, uh, this, is, this is, CJ stepped in my life, man, when we were, um, it's not on, um, when, we were, when I was about 18, I believe. And uh, he's been a father in the ministry for me. And I know a lot of times you hear about Brian LaRitz. Brian's on our board, a uh, big part of our church. Uh, and Brian, when I was going into the pastorate, he took me under his wing, preaching, teaching, all of that. But this is, this is the guy who I lived with. I was in his house, sitting at his dinner table and learning what it means to be a man of God when I first came to know Jesus. And so, um, man, I want to ask you a couple questions, but I just want you to have time to speak because you're like the myth, the legend around here, brother. You, People just hear about you. Uh, but... CJ, what was it like, man, the, the journey? What's it been like for you? You know, you see me, and then six months later, you meet Steve. And what's, what's it been like to, to see kind of that journey? Um, just what, what bit would you give us about discipleship, man?
1: Yeah, um, well, first of all, glad to be with y'all family. Um, uh, it's definitely an honor. Uh, yeah, I ain't nobody great. I'm just somebody following Jesus, right? Um, and actually, I didn't meet Derek first, I did meet Kaylee first. And um, uh, when I, when I actually, when I met Derek, I mean, he's wearing a hoodie right now, but he wore, he wore it a little differently then, right? He's still wearing hats, he wore his hat a little differently then. Um, and actually, when I first, the very first time I met Derek, I told Kaylee, I was like, that dude right, that dude? That's not the guy for you. <laughs> not as he is right now, right? Um, and so uh, but what uh what I really appreciated just in general, what this relationship has taught me is he, he talked about relationships and he did a great job. Um But the reality is that yes, relationships take time, but what time allows is for trust to build. And so relationships are only relationships as trust grows. So because of our relationship, me and Kaylee's, Derek decided, well, if I'm going to be with her, then I need to learn something about her God. I need to learn something. We, if we're going to be on the same page, then we got to keep. And so where did he go? He just came to a relationship that Kaylee trusted, right? And so, but that's the same thing. That's what, what happened over time. I only met Steve because he was in a relationship with Derek. And so because of those relationships, what ends up building over time is trust. And that's one of the key things about relationships. You don't even relate to God without spending time with him. Uh, You're not going to trust him unless you spend time with him. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the more time we spent, the more the relationship builds. And that's really how everything uh, went off. After a while, I wasn't talking with Kaylee. Uh, I was talking more with Derek about Kaylee. Uh, But we spent that time, and that's how uh, things went. We didn't just talk about Kaylee. Obviously, we spent time in the Word, but yeah, yeah. So it's been a, a pleasure to watch how all of this has uh, has started out. And so let me go ahead and say this too: as we're talking about discipleship, it doesn't. It's not always about just the Word, but it is life on life. Yeah. And so, as what is your life pouring out? One of my favorite uh, discipleship moments was with my wife Anika. We had taken some students around, uh, doing a, a a work project and the house that we were at the, had set us up with some items to make sandwiches for lunch. And some wife brings the, the students in and she's saying, hey, uh, go ahead and make yourselves a, a sandwich. But all the girls are just standing there. And she was like, what's going on? You know, what's, why, y'all, why are y'all not making a sandwich? And one of the girls said, I don't know how to cut a tomato. It was the simplicity of my wife taking mm-hmm. the time to show her how to cut a tomato that allowed those girls to make sandwiches. What do you think they're doing with their children now? They're teaching them to make sandwiches, right? Mm. This is a whole tomato. This is a knife. This is how you, and so I've been able to do that same type of thing with Derek and then watch him doing it with other people. I mean, this men's weekend, we on, right now, we got Jared, uh, Chris in the back. Y'all know Chris, Steve. I mean, it's several of us. Like, we get together, but, like, this is, this is cool for me because I just taught somebody how to make a sandwich. And uh, next thing you know, they're serving meals for other people, so it's it's some good stuff.
0: That's good, man. You'll see he likes to dress like me too. So Yeah, this was not planned. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> it happens. It's not planned. I, man, I, I think the other question I have for you, and we will be done with this one, is uh, I think a lot of times we, we talk about discipleship, we've heard the word, pour your life out, things like that. Uh, I mean, you've said this to me before, A lot, many times you don't get to see the fruit. You don't get to see the fruit on the back end. You give your life away, you pour out. Um, what's it been like to see the fruit? You, know, you just mentioned it a little bit, um, but just to see the fruit of pouring your life out. See, I, yeah, I, I wore like 5X shirts, y'all, and pants were sagging and all that do-rag. I had hair, uh, waves, like seasick waves in my head, all of that stuff. <laughs> And so I was a different dude back then, but you know what's it been like to see that and now you you you're sitting in this church that's been planted by essentially your son in the ministry and um, that fruit yeah. um so obviously, fruit takes time, right
1: and um somebody said it before um, you can count the seeds in an apple, but you know how many, don't know how many apples are in that seed um and so For me, I wouldn't have thought that all all that time back in the day that this would have been the result. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, I was just trying to be faithful to do what I had been taught to do, and um, uh, but for me, this is this is so far and uh, and beyond what I would have thought. Uh, I was up here a couple of weeks ago with my 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 biological son. Uh, We had went to a Cubs game for the first time, Uh, but I went uh, to Steve's house. Steve gave me directions. Uh, got to go to Steve's house and I saw his son for the first time uh, during the pandemic. Because of that, I wasn't wasn't able to get up here. And um, so me and my son had a good time. But when I got home, as uh, they say, I cried in the car, right? <laughs> uh, because it was just such a blessing for me to be able to see because of the time we spent, right? Uh, and then you know, Derek and I, I have five children. He's got five children. Uh, he's got one boy, I got one boy. As you can see, he copies my shoes. But, like, nah, it's, uh, it's really something, like, not just our biological families, but getting to see all of you. Like, this is fruit I would not have anticipated. Mm. Um, John 15, Jesus is talking about this, uh, this idea. He's saying that I'm divine, uh, and you are the branches. My father's divine, dresser. And, um... A lot of times we can kind of focus on, like, what what is the fruit? But I've learned over time that I really just need to be focusing on my relationship with the vine. Um, Because the the vine dresser is going to do his job. Uh, You don't worry about the the ones that fall off. If you're not connected anywhere, you just go with it and die. But but if you are connected, the vine dresser prunes. He cuts stuff off. And um, I used to focus on fruit a lot but I've learned that if I'm focusing on increasing my connection, increasing my dependency on the vine, then the fruit just happens because the Father's going to do what he does. And so it will be fine. Eric was connected to me, but that would just fall off. He's connected to the vine. And because he's connected to the vine, I get to see his fruit. Mm. Right? And so that's what happens when we when we're not just connected to each other, but we're connected to Christ. Um, and so to get to walk life out with these guys is just a super blessing for me uh, to be able to see not only I mean yeah they close fruit but all of this fruit is so far beyond yeah it's gonna be I'm gonna be crying again in the car so <laughs> now I have my own uh, worship moment especially you know first service but even just backstage man just because of all that God has done there's no way I could imagine this so thank you Kaylee for trusting me and uh, thank y'all for sticking it out walking with the Lord man
0: love you man. I got a dad together, man. Don't, don't cry in the car, CJ. We'll cry together, man. It's all good. We'll cry together. No, man, I I love him. And I I wanted you to hear from him also, too, and he mentioned this earlier, because I think many times we think, well, somebody's got to pour into me and that's it. Um, well, you've seen a couple of my mentors, and the reality is that each stage of your life, sometimes you have different people that pour into you. You should never be out of a relationship with someone who can pour into you and then you need to be pouring into someone else. Hopefully that makes sense. But in the midst of that, as I've said, I want you to go away with this. Discipleship has to be relational, inspirational, doctrinal, and experiential. And the question you need to be answering as you're leaving is, who are you riding with? Who are you on a ride with? The other one is, who are you taking on a ride? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your goodness, God. I thank you for your word and your scripture. I thank you just modeling and allowing us to see not only how you discipled men, but also Paul and others, how they poured their lives out. And I truly believe, Lord, as I've said many times before, that it's going to be us not only knowing the gospel, but living it out. That that changes this city, that changes this world. And so God, I pray that that we would be relational, inspirational, doctrinal, as well as experiential in our lives, as well as as we walk and do life with other people. Allow us to be a part of transformation. Allow us to see the city different, God, because you're a good God, and we've experienced that goodness, God. So let us tell it to everyone we come in contact with. The lives be changed about, and changed because of your goodness Father when we get down or we get in those places where we feel as if maybe we don't have anything to, to give God or we're not sure what to do Lord I pray that you would encourage us as CJ said being connected to the vine that we'd stay there first before we do anything else in our lives so Father we thank you we give you this time in our lives and it's in the mighty name of Jesus we all say together